I dreamt that I heard Mr. Punch laughing gleefully by my ear. But when I woke, I realised it was my phone. I recognised the number on the screen and so wasn't surprised by the cool, posh voice that spoke when I answered. Peter, said Lady Ty, do you remember when we spoke at Oxford Circus? I remembered her finding me after I'd managed to get myself buried under the platform. I remembered her leaning over me once they dug me out, her breath smelling of nutmeg and saffron. One day, I will ask you for a favour, and do you know what your response will be? Yes, ma'am, I said, remembering what I'd said then. No, ma'am. Three bags full, ma'am. It was five in the morning, still dark, and rain was smattering against the French windows at the far end of Beverly's bedroom. The only serious light came from the screen of my phone. The other half of the big bed was empty. I was alone. One of my daughter's friends has had an accident, said Lady Ty. I want you to ensure my daughter is not implicated in the subsequent investigation. Oh, shit, I thought. That kind of favour. She gave me the address and what she knew of the circumstances. You want me to prove your daughter wasn't involved? I said. You misunderstand, said Lady Ty. I don't care what her involvement is. I want her kept out of the case. She really had no idea what she was asking for, but I knew better than to try and explain. Understood, I said. And Peter said Lady Ty. Nightingale is not to know about this. Is that clear? Crystal, I said. As soon as she hung up, I called the folly. I rather think I'd have to take an interest in any case, said Nightingale once I'd briefed him. Still, I shall endeavour to adopt a facade of ignorance until such time as you need me. He paused and then said, and you will let me know when that moment arrives. It was not a question. Yes, sir, I said, and hung up, wondering why everyone felt the need to be so emphatic at this time of the morning. Beverly owns two halves of a 1920s semi-detached house on Beverly Avenue in SW20. It's a strange place, half-furnished and underused. Beverly told me when I first visited that she sort of inherited it, and hasn't really decided on what to do with the property yet. She sleeps in a ground-floor room with easy access to the back garden. There's just the Ikea bed, with an incomprehensible name, two mismatched wardrobes, an antique mahogany chest of drawers, and a Persian carpet that covers half the bare floorboards. I reached out and felt the empty side of the bed. There was just a trace of warmth and a hint of oil on the pillow. Beverly had slipped away hours ago. I sighed, got out from under the warm duvet and shivered. The French windows were half open, letting in a cool breeze and the smell of rain. The bathroom upstairs didn't have a shower, so I had a quick bucket bath in the huge oval tub, which I knew from happy experience easily accommodated two people at once, and got dressed. Everything related to operational matters in the Met is monitored which means you can't just open your aware terminal and go fishing for information without having a damn good excuse. 
So while I was buffing up my shoes, I called DC Gulid, who I knew was doing the night shift in the homicide assessment car that week. Hi, Peter, she said. Behind her, I could hear a hushed indoor ambiance and people being professional. I asked whether she'd heard of a shout in Knightsbridge, a suspicious drug-related death. Why do you want to know? asked Gulid, which I suspected meant she was on the scene. In the background, I heard a vast and familiar Mancunian voice demanding to know who Gulid was talking to. DCI Alexander Seawall, who, as SIO, shouldn't even be out of bed until the homicide assessment team had finished their work. It's Peter, she called back. He wants to know about our suspicious death. Tell him if it's not one of his, he can fuck off, said Seawall. Do you have any interest in this? asked Galid. There may be some related issues, I said. Which was sort of true, given that Tyburn's daughter was involved. I heard Galid pass this on and some grumbled swearing from Seawall. Tell him to get his ass down here pronto, he said. He wants you to come in, said Gulid, and gave me the address. Before I left, I switched off my phone and stepped out the back into the garden. The rain had eased to a misty drizzle that quickly beaded my hair and the leather of my jacket. Beverly's garden is vast by London standards, running 50 metres down to the bank of the river and twice as wide as her neighbours. Despite the light pollution sullenly reflected off the low cloud, I decided not to risk tripping over the random bits of garden furniture I knew littered the overgrown lawn and conjured a light to show me the way. Beverly Brook rises in Worcester Park in south-east London and flows through a ridiculous number of other parks, recreation grounds and golf courses before joining her mother at Barn Elms. She says that while she averages half a cubic metre of water per second, She's had it up to six cubic metres per second a couple of times. And unless she gets some more care, attention, and the occasional bottle of Junipero gin, she's not going to be responsible for where that surplus water is going to end up. Not a threat, you understand, but it's wise not to take a river for granted. Trust me on this. <laughs>